Hello again, ladies and gentlemen, fellow practitioners, loved ones everywhere. Welcome yeah. to Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. The last one was a reach, wasn't it? Well, my loved ones listen to this, don't you? Oh, I don't have any. Well, that's shit. not true. That's not true. I, I love you. I don't think they. <laughs> I don't think they listen. I'm Andrew Harris. I'm Andrew Decker. Thank uh, you all for joining us for another episode. We're really excited about this. Uh, don't don't worry about that whole like I don't have any loved ones thing. It's not really material oh. to our episode today. But I'm pumped. That that's a great tie-in. Uh, yeah. Well done, well done, Mr. Harris. I've been losing been, sleep about that. You've for been prepping weeks now. You, yeah, you've been prepping that for days. Yeah. So today we have Jason Niehaus uh, on with us, and he's actually going to talk about materials. Uh, what is material um, according to the uh, newly released opinion from the Court of Criminal Appeals? Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andrew. Glad to be here. Yeah. So we, um, you know, just before we get into it, you know, the whole uh, material talk will will become obvious here in a little bit uh, because of your work in the recent decision out of the CCA. But just go ahead before we get started, just introduce yourself to our audience and how long you've been practicing and why you uh, became a criminal defense lawyer. Sure. Uh, again, my name is Jason Niehaus. I'm an equity partner at, over at Bodkin, Niehaus, Doris, and Jolly. I chair our appellate litigation practice, both civil and criminal, state and federal. I've been doing this a little over 10 years now, and this Watkins case has been around for about half of it. It's been a long ride, and I'm excited to finally see uh, a first-step victory here. So you've been with this case for quite some time then? Yes, I was appointed on the original appeal back in November of 2016, if my memory serves me. Yeah, that was four and a half years ago. A long time to be working on any case, but uh, it's what happens when things end up on, in appeals. So were you appointed on the appeal or were you actually appointed on the original case? I was appointed for, for the appeal. Michael Crawford out of Corsicana uh, tried the case. All right. Yeah. And from what I read in the, in the opinion, he did, a, he did a fairly good job of preserving error on these objections that we're trying to get in. So basically, we're talking about Watkins v. State, a newly released opinion. Justice Newell delivered the opinion. Give us just, I guess, a, a brief framework on what happened in this case. Sure. I guess the facts, you can get into that if you want, but, but really, like, what was that issue here? The big issue in this case was exactly how much did, 39, did the Michael Morton Act change Article 3914 as it relates to criminal discovery? is the predecessor version of 3914 applied to evidence that was, to quote an old CCA case, material to the case, mean and material in that sense, meaning uh, indispensable to the state's case or dispositive of guilt or innocence. So it's a very restrictive definition of material. In 2013, the state legislature added about a thousand words to Article 3914 via the Michael Morton Act, and the issue in this case was essentially what did all that extra, what did all those extra words do? Went from two paragraphs to what? 11 or 11 so? or 13? 14 total in the current version of the so statute. So we were both wrong. Yeah. Right. And so in, in the trial, um, you know, Mr. Watkins's trial, I guess at punishment, the state tried to introduce punishment evidence, right? Correct. Yes. Uh, penitentiary packets, disciplinary history from his prior penitentiary trips and uh, a whole host of other ancillary and 
arguably relevant materials from his previous time in state custody. And in that, the defendant pled true to the enhancements, correct? That is correct, yes. But the actual judgments and those jail and prison records had not actually been turned over to the defense. Also correct, yes. All right. Cool. Yeah, we're talking like 33 exhibits, I think, um, is what the opinion said. Um, and so objection was made, was raised because uh, trial counsel had not been given those prior to trial, prior to those being um, offered by the state. Judge eventually let those in, and that's kind of why we're here, overruled the defendant's objection. Yes, and the confluence of events that had to happen to get us to where we're at came together pretty well perfectly, is that you had a defense attorney that did a phenomenal job of issue spotting, making the right objection, making the objection enough times to preserve the issue, Uh, and then you had a prosecutor who took a hard line and on-its-face ridiculous position as to the scope of 3914 uh, on the record. And then you had the judge's consideration of the objection in pretty good detail uh, in the transcript of the proceedings outside the presence of the jury. So we had kind of the thought process of everybody involved was pretty well detailed in the record. And the state taking the pretty extreme position that 3914 never applies to any punishment evidence whatsoever definitely helped to get us where we're at now. Yeah, and part of this is that it was still, we're talking about, what, one year after the Michael Morton Act was actually passed and put into law. So none of us really had an idea of what it might include, but uh, we all had opinions as to what it should include, right? Yes, Uh, and there was debatable lack of clarity from the beginning, uh, from the onset, as to how the word any, given its placement a whole bunch of times in 3914, Uh, in the Michael Morton Act, applies to what words does any modify in 3914? And then how do we deal with the fact that we've created a different issue in subsection H for Brady evidence than we have in subsection A for other than Brady evidence and how all this interplays together? You know, this is a really important decision for criminal defense lawyers and for really are citizens who may potentially be charged with crimes in the future, but I just can't help. But as I was reading through the opinion, I was thinking like, this is why people hate lawyers. We're like, you know, like they, we are trying to slice hairs like so thinly here arguing about the definition of material. And I know, you know, uh, in speaking with Andrew about the decision and, and having you on as a guest, he was like, it, it depends on what the definition of is is right, right? To, to quote a former president yeah which non-attorneys all all thought what the hell is he saying but right you know he was an attorney and he understands that basically you can define any word any way you want to so what the court of criminal appeals is trying to do is define the word our joke of the day material right right yes and i think that that they got to the right decision in kind of killing off the criminal law specific definition of material is where material, depending on if you're talking lay usage or if you're talking lawyer usage or if you're talking criminal defense lawyer usage, should not necessarily have such varied definitions. Is like I'll, I'll, like the the first time I read the state's uh, reply brief 
in Watkins, and they said, 3914 doesn't apply. The evidence isn't material. I'm sitting there in my office, and I read it. I went, what the fuck? Like, how do you go from 2 to 20 on punishment to 25 to life and not be material? And then I kind of had to back and stop thinking about it as advocate for Mr. Watkins and then kind of loop it back to, okay, material has a specific criminal law definition. So just because it sounds like they're saying these aren't relevant doesn't necessarily mean that's the argument the state's making. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I love your question of how does something that changes a man's exposure from two to 20 to 25 to life, how is that not material to the outcome of this case? It boggles the mind that someone could actually say that. It's one of those places where you go, how did you actually say that without laughing? Yeah. And just one other note on when they define material, they actually go through the like, you know, it, material is like relevant, but just a lot like more force behind it, you know, and they have, the, you know, this is what Black's Law Dictionary says. This is what Merriam-Webster says. And I, I couldn't help but think too, like in that instance, whenever I've heard a speech say, Merriam-Webster describes success as I like immediately shut off. <laughs> you know, like, uh, so it, it took a while for me to like now power through there. I see what they're trying to do here, trying to make connections to like, it has a lot more meaning than what I think the state was trying to ascribe to it. Oh, yes. You know that the state prosecuting attorney's office was not happy about losing this one because uh, this is going to complicate things exponentially going forward on what has to be produced, when does it have to be produced, and what in the hell does the quote-unquote state mean for purposes of it's in the care, custody, or control of the or possession of the state or agent or contractor of the state for purposes of 3914A. And I think the way the court is going to try to solve some of that burden of disclosure is to require a very specific request is I don't think they're going to consider hey, I want the discovery on this case in an email to be a specific triggering request. Mm. Uh, and they've kind of gone that, down that route already in Hinojosa, which is a case that was argued contemporaneously with Watkins in the Waco Court of Appeals, where they decided, okay, this is the bare minimum necessary to trigger a, an obligation to disclose. So I think that, that that's going to be the next fight is going to be how specific do these requests need to be. Uh, and I have already gotten to the point where my, my 3914 disclosure requests are emailed to the prosecutor, e-filed into the case, uh, and are as almost neurotically specific as I can think to make them. I'm guessing, I mean, you know, we're Oftentimes we try to not reinvent the wheel, especially for, you know, 404B notice, 3914 requests, all of that. But are you getting case specific? Like I want, you know, everything from 3914 specifically list out each paragraph under 3914 and then add in specifically I want pertaining to this case and then list out everything you need. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Okay. is I'll go even further than that. If I think there are priors out there, I will also specifically request whatever file they may have on the prior, including the judgment and any discovery that may be out there on the prior. So or, your, your 3914 request could be, you know, five pages long. 
my 3914 request for DNA or drug cases is something like 14 pages long. Wow. Good googly moogly. I know. I need. I. Uh, I definitely have some work to do to update my my requests. Then, in light of this case, I think. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll email them to you. I'll send you my templates. That is very gracious of you. Thank what? you. With you saying very freely, I'll email you the template. One of the things that has surprised me is you know, the defense bar. We are obviously independent, and, and we are all fighting you know, to get the same crumbs and, you know, get cases and, and earn money, you know, and so you would think we're in competition, but when it comes to, to defending our clients, I am amazed the camaraderie and the level of willingness to share forms, ideas, prior information, things that we've learned, uh, the people that are willing to come on this podcast and say, you can find it here. I've got it on my website or I've got it, you know, you found it in this place or that place. I, I just, Sorry, it just struck yeah. me again of just how how much we work together to defend the rights of the accused. Well, and I mean, you know, I think that goes to like defense attorneys. Yeah, I mean, we we could potentially make a really great living doing what we do, but really it's just a, you know, it's a career of passion. You don't wake up to fight the government, as Jerry Goldstein would put it, without just being passionately devoted to this line of work. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I appreciate that, Jason, very much. And if you don't mind, we could uh, we could also include like a uh, Dropbox for our listeners if they need, uh, if they want to access it as well. Absolutely, yes. The the more people that have it, the better preserved these issues are going to be going forward, and the uh, the better chance that we will get something good to go up to the court of appeals when we start looking at an appeal on what level of specificity is required and appeals on what stuff outside of the DA's office is within the scope of 3914 uh, after Watkins. And so, especially with cases where you're going to have scientific evidence uh, in DPS labs, where there's going to be a, a pretty heavy volume of laboratory accreditation materials and methods and protocols and procedures that the DA's office doesn't give a shit about that we have to dig through to make sure that the results that say, oh yeah, that that couple of kilos of meth is actually a couple of kilos of meth. Right. Uh, and if nothing else, it may give us, the DA's office gets sloppy, it may give us an extra ground for uh, excluding those lab results if we don't get the discovery that we specifically ask for uh, in the context of uh, 3914 request. So completely agree. In that request in Watkins, how does the court come to define material, right? How do we as, as practitioners know what is going to be material? Uh, the CCA in Watkins essentially says if the state is going to use it, the state has to disclose it. Any exhibit, anything that's going to come in during trial, anything that their expert's going to testify to, uh, all of that's going to be indisputably within the scope of 3914. Given that the CCA has said that material means relevant uh, and relevant as far as preparing a defense goes is incredibly broad on ancillary topics, my position would be that yeah, all of the laboratories, protocols, procedures, methods, testing samples, all of that is within the scope of 3914 for a marijuana case, for a drug case, for a DNA case, for a sex case, for a DWI. All of that lab stuff is fair play 
uh, within the scope of 3914. Whether the court is going to ultimately agree with me on that, I don't think I'm wrong, but I wouldn't think I'm wrong. So yeah, my opinion doesn't carry a whole lot of weight there. Um, you can see how if a state is relying on that to obtain convictions, what their argument would then be that those aspects of the lab protocols or uh, anything associated with the lab, how, how that would not be material. I don't see a way that they can get there, given what the CCA did in Watkins, uh, without the state arguing that the request was not specific enough to give them notice that that was what you were asking for. And that's the reason those 3914 disclosures, those 3914 requests are that long, is that's in, for instance, my DNA one is there are 50 itemized requests within that request for DNA lab protocols where I'm like, I want A, I want B, I want C, I want D, all the way down the list. I'm like, look, there is zero excuse for you not to have understood what I was asking for because I literally gave you a list. Right. So just kind of, uh, and it's not really on the itinerary we have, but were you expecting such an impactful opinion from Watkins on this? I was hoping for one. I was not expecting one. Yeah. Uh, is once the 10th decided it and one, cause we lost in the 10th court of appeals on materiality and the 10th essentially said, Hey, this term has been defined by the CCA and we're not inclined to redefine it. However, if this term had not been defined before, we would not rule this way. So the uh, 10th Court of Appeals at Waco really teed up the issue. Yeah, silver platter here. We think they changed the law, but we also think we're bound by these prior decisions. So take it up and see what you can do. So it was very well gift wrapped, both at the trial court level with the judge's findings on the record and the party's position on the record. Uh, and then out of the 10th, it was also pretty well packaged for getting this to be something that could go up that the CCA would grant a PDR on and would be interested in. Have you, have you gotten any, I mean, I imagine you've gotten some pushback from DAs, D, district attorney's offices, or has it been the other type of reaction? Like, I mean, we're just going to have an open file policy from here on out simply because that's the best way to abide by this decision. I don't think our local DA's office even bothers reading the 3914 requests that we send over <laughs> is our, we, we, it's 14 pages. Yes. Fair. But we're locally pretty much everybody, but Dallas County e-files into, into the DA's office. And what the DA's office will do is they'll take that e-file that they get and they'll upload it to our online discovery portal. Kind of like the uh, tech share. If y'all are in Dallas or Tarrant. Yeah. Uh, we've right. got us, we use something similar. So they just, take the e-file the police department uploads and they upload that and they're like, good enough. Here you go. Without really thinking about whether there's anything else that might be out there that's within the scope of the 3914 request. Yeah. So it kind of just um, sets them up for getting smacked down uh, once they're, they're kind of, you know, quote unquote surprised at trial because they did not actually look at what was filed and what has been responded to. I almost feel bad for the first one that's going to have to justify, well, judge, we don't read our pleadings. So I thought I'd give him everything he asked for. I mean, do you really feel bad? 
No, no, not as much as I probably should. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say like, kind of like the uh, prosecutor in this decision when he's like 39, 14 doesn't apply to punishment in both like the uh, SPO is a state prosecution office and the local state's appellate attorney was like, Oh, okay. No, it, we concede that it does. <laughs> Those two trial attorneys very much do. I've appealed a fair number of cases on Navarro County and uh, that prosecutor and and Mike, who tried that case, do not get along. Even on a transcript, it is obvious that they are pretty heated sometimes. They're adversarial towards each other in all phases, in other words. <laughs> that, that is a fair summary, yes. Yeah, yeah. So with this new definition, and you say, you know, with now a need for a more specific 3914 request, I think the next question then becomes, do you foresee a number of discovery changes or challenges in the coming few years? Yes, is I had been in touch with uh, with Shay, with the TCDLA's lobbyist, pretty consistently from when we argued this case almost 26 months ago now, up until we got a decision, because I was optimistic at first, and then the case dragged out, the case dragged out, the case dragged out, and then... But the closer we were getting to the end of 2020, I started getting paranoid that they were going to say, this is a legislative problem and we're going into a new legislative session. You lose here, legislature, fix this. And I didn't want us to be in a spot in which the Morton Act was gutted and we didn't have a replacement lined up to be voted on. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then once December came and went and then January came and went and then February came and went, I was like, okay, Maybe they actually will go my way when they finally do something because I didn't expect that the CCA would gut a statute that was considered to be this important after the filing deadline for the current legislative session. So once we didn't get a decision in December or January, I kind of had a change of heart and started getting optimistic again that at some point they decided it would go our way. And then I actually didn't even see that it had come out until I got the text from, uh, from Lane Haga, who was amicus counsel on it, did a phenomenal job. He had sent me a text message. He goes, hey, you read it yet? And I was like, shit, I didn't know it was out. But <laughs> Yeah, so one of the things, a couple of things that, that I've thought about as I've considered Watkins and also as I've you know, been in trial, I think there's going to need to be or there will come a time when there is a discovery guideline specifically for the state that they have to anything that they want at trial has to be disclosed 10 or 15 days before the jury is selected. Because I've had multiple cases where at trial they say, well, the police officer found this other, other report in the file and they want that information admittable. I had one where the most damning piece of evidence against my client was given to me after we picked a jury. Uh, and thankfully, the judge said, no, you're not going to get that in. And it would have been terrible for my client. Uh, and we probably wouldn't have been going to trial if we had had it beforehand. Yeah. Uh, yes. You know, so I see that as one of the things that I think is going to end up coming because if they have to give it to us, when do they have to give it to us? That is going to be a particularly interesting question given the overlap between 3914 and 404B and 3707 and uh, and 609F. Uh, and so the safe assumption is that if there is a way for the Court of Appeals to find compliance, I would bet on the Court of Appeals finding compliance. Of course, uh, yeah. And 
I was particularly concerned when I was thinking we were going to lose this, that they would get to the preservation piece and they would go against us on preservation. Uh, because the prior version of 3914, you had to request the continuance, have the continuance be denied, and then the evidence that wasn't disclosed comes in in order to preserve that error. And there was no request for continuance in this case and after the late disclosure of the punishment evidence. And there was supplemental briefing filed after oral argument in the 10th Court of Appeals directed specifically to that point where my argument was, guys, 3914 says as soon as practicable. These others are within X number of days of trial because they're within X number of days of trial. If you request a continuance and get it, you got what you were otherwise entitled to. A continuance does not retroactively get you 3914 evidence as soon as practicable. And the court seemed like they were interested in that argument and then completely omitted any kind of preservation discussion from uh, the original opinion out of the 10th Court of Appeals. And then when I filed my uh, 47.4 request for rehearing, uh, arguing essentially that the opinion was incomplete because it didn't reach the preservation question, they specifically punted again on the preservation question and said, nope, not, not essential because we've otherwise disposed of this issue. So I was curious if we were going to get screwed on preservation when we finally got to an opinion from the CCA. Yeah, that, that seems to be how they, yeah, they just decline a lot of really important issues. Like, oh, we would love to talk about this, but... But we found a way not to have to talk about it. Yeah, it's kind of a... Anyways. Um, yeah, super fun state-level abstention doctrines. Oh, it's not preserved, even though you did exactly what the rule says, but you didn't do what the cases say. So eh, go home. Right. Wow. Yeah. Are, were you surprised that um, all but two uh, concurred uh, or, or signed on to the opinion? There's two dissents. I was not terribly surprised to see those dissents. I, from the way that uh, Judge Slaughter was questioning a spirit argument, I did not expect that we had pulled uh, Judge Slaughter over our side. I expected that to be a six, at the closest, a six three. Uh, if not a five four, if it went our way again, it, as late as you know December January, you said you were like, eh, this isn't going to go good for us. So yeah, knowing that the appeals courts basically it sometimes feels like their job is to affirm a conviction, uh, kind of at all in any way possible. The fact that they so heavily ruled or, or in our favor uh, is, I think. Pleasantly surprising. Yeah. I was very, very satisfied with the, the depth of the analysis on this is what material means. This is why it means what it means. And guys, this is not going to be up for further discussion. So wrap your heads around this is what material is going to mean going forward. I was very, very pleased. And, and I, for those of us that do a lot of appellate work, especially a lot of statutory construction appellate work. Uh, Judge Newell is the guy. Is if you can convince him, he will convince the rest of the court. And a lot of that argument was designed around convincing Judge Newell that this needed to be the way that this needed to go. And so it was it was gratifying seeing that not only did we get him on our side, but we got him on our side to the point where he was the one that wrote the opinion. Yeah, and uh, let's briefly just discuss. Uh, this was oral argument, right? Yes. Down in Austin. Uh, actually, no, we argued this at a conference up in Sherman in February of 2019. Okay. 
So argued it in February of 2019, and the decision came down or was published. Uh, March of 2021, first week wow. of March. Yeah. Okay. How was like, you know, how, how did you sleep the night before oral argument? Not terribly well. Uh, <laughs> and it's a hot court, right? So they're peppering you with questions. Yes. And the, the 10th did a very good job of prepping us for that is when this, when Watkins was argued in the 10th, Watkins was one of three that we argued contemporaneously with the Cole out of, uh, formerly out of the Navarro County DA's office. He's in private practice now. But essentially, they lined up three Michael Morton cases, consolidated them for argument, and we showed up and we argued all three of them at the same time for as long as the judges had questions for us, which was an absolute beating. I mean, it's exactly as bad as it sounds like it's going to be. And those three were, uh, it was Hinojosa v. State, which is what is necessary to trigger the state's obligation to disclose under 3914. Freeman v. State, which is whether uh, 3914 applies to probation revocation proceedings, and Watkins, which is what does materiality mean for purposes of 3914. All three of those were argued essentially within each other. It was, uh, okay, you talk for a while, now the state's going to talk for a while, and now you're going to do rebuttal for a while, and the state's going to do rebuttal for a while, and then now we have more questions from you based off of the answers from them. And we went back and forth for a good probably 90 minutes, and it was an absolute beating. Uh, and the 10th the was, uh, the justices on the 10th Court of Appeals were all exceptionally well-prepared, exceptionally curious, had super interesting, super pointed questions, including on the preservation issue, which is one of the reasons I was a little sad that we didn't actually get a, no, you do not need a continuance request ruling on preservation, because that could have greatly improved some of the the clarity on how you go about making these objections. Just listening to you talk for a few minutes about what happened in Waco uh, as those three cases uh, were heard, I can feel myself become physically and mentally exhausted (laughs) thinking about how hard that is to not only be sharing law, sharing interpretation, but then being questioned on it and you never know where the question is going to come that you didn't see coming. And you're like, oh, so yeah, good man. for you, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. If you go back, you can go back and listen to the argument on Watkins. It's posted on the CCA website. And there's there's a point at, at one point where I 100% have to, have to do a 180 on myself. Because one of the judges, I can't remember who it was. One of the judges asked me a question and I go, no, wait. Yes. I mean, yes. Yes is the answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> what is the definition of no for you, uh, Mr. Nehas? Yeah, that's like, that's like in, uh, you know, asking me in trial, I, I could foresee me sometimes saying, you know, a judge like, Mr. Harris, how does your, how does your client plead to these allegations? Uh, guilty. No, not guilty. Not guilty is the answer. <laughs> It was a question like that, where it was one of those ones where it's like, no, this has a this has a clear answer, and it's not the one that just came out of my mouth. Oh, <laughs> oh, man! That, I mean, that's great though, and good work on on this. Um, I know it's going to have a, a a big impact for decades to come. For yeah, sure. so so amazing stuff. At the end of every podcast, we ask a few fun questions, right? Because none of us are just our legal work. Um, surprisingly, right, um, yeah. and so. Uh, Give us an idea of what your favorite band or musical artist is. 
So the one that I've been digging really, really hard recently is the Who, uh, which is uh, H-U. They are a uh, Mongolian rock band that combines traditional Tibetan throat singing with uh, uh, Mongolian instrumentals uh, and and does it in a hard rock style. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, the H-U, the the Who, which is a play on words, I imagine, but it's the H-U. Yeah. Yes. It's super good workout music. It's got a nice, nice kind of underlying rhythm to it, but it's still heavy enough to be able to get into a good workout. That's what I'm digging right now on, on the music side. That's cool. What about a favorite book or one that you've read recently that you, you know, recommend to friends? I'm a big time Stephen King guy. So I just finished Stephen King's new one that's called Later. Uh, and I'm currently working my way through In the Woods by Tana French, uh, who's a Irish American uh, actress who's taken up writing. That's cool. Any clue what In the Woods is about? It's about a detective who survived an attack as a child that killed his two best friends. Uh, and he's got amnesia as to what happened to the two friends. And there's a new murder that occurs in the same vicinity of where his childhood friends disappeared. Processes going back to the small town in the woods outside the small town where he grew up. Well, that sounds actually pretty fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then best piece of advice you've been given, it could be professional or personal. I'll give you both personal, uh, get your head out of your ass. Um, <laughs> from, uh, from my dad when I was being an insolent teenager, it's one of those ones where I kind of took it to heart is, and it's, you know, I don't think you end up being a defense attorney without some kind of streak of problems with authority. That was one of those one of those ones where I was being an idiot, and Dad sat me down, and gave me gave me a little bit of tough love. That was kind of the first time where it was a uh, okay. I I hear what you're telling me without you having to get specific into what you're telling me. And then professionally, uh, one of my my first mentors in the law told me that the law is not a meritocracy, and you will get a hell of a lot further, a hell of a lot faster if you forget the idea that the law is a meritocracy. That's True. also some tough love. Yeah. Yeah, tough love. Tough love usually ends up being good advice if you're willing to hear it. Man, yes. What did you take away from the law is not a meritocracy? It kind of got me out of my out of my own head with uh, being in front of judges and assuming that judges both knew more than me and experienced more than me and it would always get it right because they were the judge and they're supposed to be smart. Is that was kind of a wake up call as to no, these are elected officials. Just because they're supposed to be smart and just because they're supposed to be good at what they do doesn't mean that they are. Yeah. But I have been, I have been blessed to practice predominantly in front of uh, judges that I have a lot of respect for, judges that try very hard to be right on the law, uh, and judges that appreciate my level of occasionally absurd creativity when... Uh, I have a client whose case is both terrible on the facts and the law, and I have to try to get creative. Uh, yeah. So it is, yeah. When I when I say the law is not a meritocracy, I don't mean that as a dig against uh, any of the judges that I've practiced in front of at any level, state or federally. But that kind of helped me get over some of the young lawyer stage fright for. But what if I don't know what I'm doing? It's like eh, none of us know what we're doing. Some of us just take it better than others. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like cool. that a lot. So if there's any, uh, any of our listeners out there that want to get a hold of you and maybe some potential clients that, uh, you know, want to hire you for 
some work, either trial level or appellate, how, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Your website? Yes, the website is the best way to get a hold of me. It's B like boy, N like Nevada, D like dog, J like Jason, dot legal, uh, or bndjlegal.com. Okay, great. And we will link to those on the show notes as well, which I need to show Andrew where those are at. Right. That's a running joke on our show that I do not know where the show notes are uh, because it's true. Well, thank you, Jason, uh, for, for giving us some time. Thank you for the work that you put in on Watkins. Uh, yeah. Anytime that you have to take a case for four years, uh, work into it, breathe into it, sweat into it, uh, probably a little bit of dye into it at some point is hard. But thankfully, in this one, you actually got something. Uh, you got that a boy at the end. A solid win, for sure. Yes, a solid win and a chance to get another one when we go back to the 10th on remand. Absolutely. Good deal. Fantastic. Well, again, uh, this has been another episode of Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. Uh, you've been listening to us with Jason Niehaus, and it has been a pleasure. Andrew, how would they find us? Okay, guys, just go to uh, our website, texascrimdefense.com. There you will find all of our episodes listed. And we're also, Andrew, did you know this, on every uh, podcast hosting service that is available. Every Wherever you've changed you all of them. In the if, world. if I put this into a 3914 request and list every one of them were on, you would yeah. say every? I would, yeah, I would just reply, just, just go to your podcast store <laughs> and you will find us. I assure you. Okay. And if you don't, please message us right. immediately. Right. Thanks for listening, y'all, and we will see you on the next episode. Bye.